This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The impact of the Twitter files release Elon wants to punch Yi, and why the media cares about the Chinese protest. I'm Brad Binkley. This is a Propaganda Report. Thank you for joining me today. I want to start with the protest in China and the ongoing coverage of these protests going on in China. And I want to know why the media is in the Biden administration, why they are all of a sudden so supportive of anti-lockdown protests now that they're going on over there in China. They were never supportive of anti-lockdown protests when they were happening here. In fact, when they were happening here in America, they not only condemned the anti-lockdown protest, they called the protesters domestic terror threats who want to kill your grandmother. That's, That's how they used to feel about it, but all of that has changed. So why would the media and the government now want to highlight something similar going on in China right now, except as a good thing? Because they clearly didn't see it that way previously. It's kind of wild, really, because you'll see someone in the news, they'll describe what they claim to be or what they claim is going on in China related to these anti-lockdown protests. And I'm not focused on whether or not what they're telling us about the protests are true or not. I'm just focused on the narrative itself. And what they describe that's going on sounds nearly identical to what went on over here in America when we were protesting our lockdowns except without all the demonization. And no one seems to be pointing out the similarities when they're talking about this in the media. No one goes, hey, remember when we did exactly what you just said? Listen to this clip right here to see what I mean. This is from the chief Newsweek correspondent in Beijing. Her name is Melinda Liu, and she's talking with Fareed Zakaria about how China is now loosening some of its zero COVID restrictions, which she attributes to these protests that are going on. See if this sounds familiar what she says here. And I don't have the video version of this, so this is just audio, so you're going to see just kind of a black black box on screen here. Maybe I should have got a white box so it would look like the uh, the blank white piece of paper that they're using to protest allegedly over there. Here's a clip. Some places are opening up with startling abruptness, I would say. Others are not. And so what we have is a kind of a discoordinated um, city by city or region by region or even district by district relaxation of the um, very, what had been very stringent and, and very sort of pervasive uh, anti-COVID protocols. Uh, so, for example, in Beijing, which is what I can speak, speak about with, with most authority because this is where I am and when I'm on the streets, I can see it myself. Um, suddenly, it was announced that public transport, meaning the subways, the buses, um, you no longer have to show evidence of a negative COVID test because in many cases you had to show a, a negative COVID test within 48 hours. And so suddenly the, the city said it, there, no one can pro- prohibit you from, from getting onto public transport if you don't have that. Okay, fine. But the problem is 
the stores still require it. The restaurants, the ones that are open still require it. Many of them not even open yet. They're just doing takeout. And so you get this kind of discombobulation. Um, other cities are doing other things. Um, nonetheless, I think eventually we'll see the evolving of goodbye, zero COVID. And uh, long live the economy. The, the message we're getting now is, okay, folks, our economy is in bad shape and we need to focus on getting it back on track. Okay. Did she not just describe exactly what went on here in America when we were protesting lockdowns and the mandates and all that? Did some states not open up before others? Yes, they did. And the ones that opened up early, they were demonized and subject to much controversy. Did we not have to show proof of vaccination or of a negative test to participate in society? Yes, we did. I had to show proof of, uh, of negative test multiple times because I couldn't get into places because I did not have a vaccine. Did restaurants not remain closed? Some of them while others opened up. Yes, in fact, they did. And the ones that opened up first, they are the ones that were subjected to the most criticism, even penalties, depending on what state they were in. And was it the purpose of the anti-lockdown protest? Part of the purpose anyway, because people just wanted to get back to work and open up their businesses, which they've been forced to shut down and get the economy back on track. Is this not what the protesters demanded? She just described everything we experienced in America six months, a year ago, year and a half ago, whenever all this stuff's been going on. Yet Fareed Zakaria never said a word about, hey, that sounds exactly like what we experienced. The only difference in what she was describing is that she left out all the demonization. And, and in the context of the conversation they were having, the Chinese protesters, instead of being demonized, like American protesters were, they were the hero of the story. And that's what's a little peculiar. Like I said, they have never talked positive about anti-COVID measures, protest going on anywhere in the world until this Chinese story. They would always demonize it until now. So what's going on here? How can the Biden administration and the media get away with demonizing Americans who protested the lockdowns on the one hand, then turning around and now supporting, praising the Chinese people protesting the exact same thing over in China right now? And they get away with that because the way they're framing it, it's not about the lockdowns. It is a little bit, but not really. The broader implications here are about something much bigger than China's COVID zero policy. I did talk about this briefly last week on the show, but I wanted to come back to it because of how clear what they're doing became over the weekend with the Sunday shows. They're not showing us this story in the news so often because they want us to see Chinese people protesting lockdown measures so that we can celebrate, yes, they're doing it. They're showing it to us because they want us to see it as another example of people around the world rising up and taking a stand against the oppressive anti-democratic forces that rule over them. It's just like how the Ukraine-Russia war isn't about Ukraine. This is what they tell us. It's like, why, why are we sending all this money to Ukraine? It's not about Ukraine. It's a fight for democracies worldwide against the anti-democratic autocrats. All the different names they have, the authoritarian regimes, the semi-fascist, whatever, the Nazis. This is what, even though we give money to the Nazis, it's because we need to fight the Nazis. We have to fund the Nazis so we can fight the Nazis. It's the same story as that. And they always make it out these bigger, broader implications. And these protests, the way the story is being framed here, is a representation of that same sentiment as the Ukraine-Russia war. It's, it's for a bigger purpose. Here's how Fareed expresses this sentiment 
in that same show that he does. Free's a weird guy. I wish I had the video of it because he's a very strange, strange-looking individual. Over the past few months, we've worried a great deal about the fragility of democracy. From the United States and Brazil to Sweden and Italy, the system seemed to be facing real challenges. In fact, in all of these cases, elections have had the effect of taming many of the most illiberal forces. And at least for now, the center has held. Meanwhile, we are seeing in some of the world's most powerful autocracies signs of deep and structural weaknesses. The most striking example is China, where an extraordinary wave of protest is confronting the powers that be. At the heart of the problem is the unwillingness of the central government to end its zero-COVID policy. This is a problem inherent in dictatorships, where decision-making is closed, hierarchical, and unaccountable. Okay, so you see how he started with the broader implications, and it's just the example using the COVID here. So it's not really about the lockdowns. It's about the broader implications of the autocracy of China showing a weakness because it's not strong like our democracy, which has shown that the center is holding through elections, you know, that we can all trust because we had the most secure election on the planet in 2020 and I guess 2022. I mean, that's what he's referring to. The point is they always take these examples and they try to focus our attention on certain aspects of it. And here they they broaden them out to have these bigger implications. So that's what the China story is doing here. It's just another vehicle to try and promote the idea that we are in a a worldwide fight between democracies around the world and autocrats, as he puts it here. But it doesn't end there. Freed goes on to connect the dots at an even more global level. And this is something I was talking about last week, bringing Russia and Iran, who are also having protests right now that are very public and reported in the news. He brings them into the little story that he's weaving here. In Russia, similarly closed and unresponsive decision-making process can lead to disaster. As a result of Putin's war, his country is becoming increasingly isolated and impoverished. He recently mobilized 300,000 reservists many reluctant to fight in Ukraine. As a result of Putin's war, or sanctions, economic sanctions that are happening to them, that's like saying, as a result of you making me hit you, you now have a bruise. I'll start with the first thing. Do we always go to war through dissent and debate? You guys remember always doing that? I don't really remember funding the Ukraine war. I guess they would say we're not at war, but we're funding the Ukraine war. It's a proxy war, and... I oppose sending all that money over there. A lot of you probably do as well, but we don't really have a say in it. We can vote our people in and out, but they've already kind of showed, if you look at the World Economic Forum, Davos and all that, how they control these congressmen and senators to get enough people on both sides to vote to send those packages over there. I don't remember, I don't have any faith that I, I, we're not going to send money over there. There might be a few people that oppose it, but he, he acts, he's, in, he's being serious here saying, you have a, you, you can do it, you can stop what's happening here if you just, if you stand up and you argue. No, if you stand up and you say that you oppose sending money to Ukraine to fight Russia, they call you a Nazi. If you oppose sending money to the Nazis in the Azov Battalion, they will call you a Nazi to try and shut you up. This is, this is Fareed's idea of a debate and a conversation here. And the way he's framing how much better this idea of democracy is than what he's saying. And I'm not, I would much rather live here than China, Russia, or Iran. Let me get that straight. 
There's a lot of things I love about America. I think it's a great country. I do, but the hypocrisy of our politicians, the lies of these people in the media are what erodes it. And for those who oppose the war, there remains always the reasonable hope that the policy or the policymaker can be changed. In Iran, we see a theocratic autocracy determined to maintain its ideological control of the country. Iran's ruling elites believe that their fundamentalist version of Islam must be enforced or else they will go the way of the Soviet commissars. By contrast, liberal democracies don't try to impose preferred ideologies on their population. Oh, really? They don't, huh? So Farid is full of it. He is a Davos World Economic Forum person. He's always speaking at those events. But he brought in what I mentioned last week, the new axis of evil. He roped all three of them into it. I think this is preparation. It's going to be a long-haul preparation to get people to see Iran and China just the way that many people see Russia in America right now. Obviously, not everybody does, but a, a large portion of the country on the Democrat side, some on the Republican side, I don't know about the independents, they see Russia as this demon. And it's due to the propaganda. And this, I think, is the preparation to get people ready to see China and Iran as strongly as they see Russia in that way so that they are ready to jump on board with the idea that we must fight all three of them for the sake of protecting democracies worldwide against autocrats and semi-fascists and whatever. And this is why they can demonize anti-lockdown protests over here while supporting them in China, because over there in China... It is the government whom they frame as the anti-democratic force, while here it is the anti-lockdown protesters who are framed as MAGA Republican election deniers. They're the anti-democratic forces. So that's why the two groups are different. Even though they're doing the exact same thing, they can praise one and demonize the other because of the way they classify them in their twisted little identity politics that they use to divide and conquer not just the nation— but the planet, it's a nice little sleight of hand. Actually, no, it's not a nice sleight of hand. It's a bad sleight of hand that's confusing just on the surface and very easy to point out if you just look at it for a couple of minutes. So they're going to have to improve on their propaganda to try and rope everybody in to this war that they want to turn the world publics against each other. Because that's not going to work. Now, they will continue to try and improve and update their tactics here, but that, that's piss poor tactic right there. There's one more angle to the COVID anti-lockdown protest going on in China that I want to share with you that I got from this same show, the Freed Zakaria show. I can't even remember what it's called. It's a weird name. But apparently the lockdowns over there aren't really the problem. It's not the zero COVID policy that's the problem. It's the lack of mRNA vaccines that are the problem. And here is Melinda Liu again. Listen to this. Um, I, I, I've about 30 seconds left, but I have to ask you, people think that this is a race to the mRNA vaccine, that the Chinese are creating their own mRNA vaccine. Once they have it, they'll vaccinate the whole population and China will be back. Does that strike you as plausible? Um, I think some people would hope that that could happen. Certainly the race for a home homegrown mRNA vaccine has been going on, but it, it has not succeeded uh, as quickly as, as authorities would like. And it also takes a little while for vaccines to, to, um, to become effective. And there is actually, especially among older people, a sort of 
vaccine resistance, a sort of vaccine skepticism. What about hesitancy? They're literally describing the same thing that happened in America. Nobody's pointing this out because they have to talk about it differently. I, I think sometimes you can you can use it as a as a symbol of skepticism about government services, but um, they're probably going to have to maybe give out a few gifts or maybe <laughs> use a little bit of. Um, of uh, creative co- coercion to to get some of the older folks to get vaccinated. Oh, I see a little creative coercion, kind of like they did here. Maybe a nudge or two, maybe a, a joint, a donut, or a prostitute or two. If you just get the jab already, old folks. And think about that question that Farid asked right there. Here it is again. The people think that this is a race to the mRNA vaccine, that the Chinese are creating their own mRNA vaccine. Once they have it, they'll vaccinate the whole population and China will be back. Does that strike you as plausible? So Fareed, in this question about just getting everybody in China vaccinated, bam, we get the mRNA, bam, everybody there is vaccinated. What a question that was. Makes a lot of presumptions there. He presumes that the mRNA vaccine is the solution to China's protest problem, as well as how they're going to achieve zero COVID. Because once they have that mRNA vaccine, Everybody who's protesting and everyone in the country, except the old people, of course, who will be creatively coerced into taking it, everyone would just willingly take the mRNA vaccine. They'd beg for it, in fact, which would in turn, the mRNA vaccine would do something that it's never done before, that it's been proven that it does not do, is it would miraculously prevent the spread of COVID. So you can't get it. You can't spread it. We know it doesn't do that, but Fareed seems to assume that it does do that, thus helping them achieve zero COVID, which also presumes that these people protesting in China, that they're not actually anti-lockdown protesters. They're actually pro-vaccine protesters. They're not against the lockdowns. They just are against the fact that their government won't let them get the mRNA jab right now. They're demanding to be jabbed. Free the vaccine. That's, That's what they're shouting out there. This would also explain why the media and the government can demonize people who protest against the lockdowns in the United States while praising those who protest against the lockdowns over in China because those who protest the lockdowns here are most likely vaccine hesitant or as the media and the government would call them Putin lovers and Satan while those over there according to Fareed's presumptions here they're not at all vaccine hesitant they're craving the vaccine now knowing that the vaccine would not solve their zero COVID problems What's this going to do? They just want to get Pfizer and Moderna over there in China, make them much more money. I'm sure Fareed and all of them are connected to it somehow. The people who win in this solution here of getting the mRNA over there is definitely those experimenting on the population, getting all that data to see how the mRNA reacts to the different types of DNA that people have. And Pfizer and Moderna who continue to get richer and richer and richer. Quite a twist, quite a psyop that would be, wouldn't it? People begging for something to solve a zero COVID problem that everyone else knows wouldn't work to solve it. What an idiotic question. Okay, so what we're going to do for the rest of the show and then into the Drive Time News Blast XR, the subscriber-only portion of the show, is we're going to talk about the Twitter files, the secretive, the mysterious revelations that have come from Elon Musk and they've been siphoned through by Matt Taibbi who has published them for all of us to see and witness. We're going to go through them. Excuse me, I should say we're not going to go through the actual files. We're going to talk about the files briefly. 
And then we're going to play some clips of Elon Musk, who made an appearance on a Twitter Spaces question and answer session with some weird podcast. I don't know what you call a Twitter Spaces. I think it's a podcast. Where he talks to them for a couple of hours. This is after the Twitter files had been released later that evening, I believe, or maybe it was the next day. But he answers some questions about his motivations and what he hopes to achieve through all of this. So we're going to, and some comments he has on Kanye or Yay, which were pretty interesting. So we will wrap up the Drive Time News Blast with the start of the Twitter files, and we will continue with the Twitter, Twitter files during the Drive Time News Blast XR, the subscriber-only portion of the show. And if you want to get access to that, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. And what you will get along with the subscriber-only portion of the show is you will get this show, the Drive Time News Blast, ad-free. I take out the ads for subscribers, and I will put the DMB and the XR together, and it will go into a private RSS feed, which you can take for you. You will take it and put it into just about any podcast app you listen to, and the show will go directly to your phone. You can also, if you want to support, you can go to iTunes or wherever and leave a five-star review and a positive message that helps keep me motivated and keep my morale high. And yeah, it helps me a lot, and I appreciate when people do that. I, I really do. I, I don't express that enough. I, I really I appreciate it very much. Okay. So let's move on to the final story, the, the Twitter files. Wow. Round one of what's been dubbed the Twitter files were released Friday evening. The Twitter files were released on Twitter, of course, with Twitter exposing itself like it's Pee Wee Herman, laying it all out there for everyone to see. Transparency is the name of the game for Pee Wee. Now, the Twitter files are kind of like the Mueller report, except with evidence. And the files consist of exclusive emails that reveal, among other things, some internal deliberations over stuff like the Hunter Biden laptop and which accounts to remove or censor. And before I go into what's actually in the files, I do want to point out that Musk is driving Twitter usage to all-time highs right now through the stuff that he's doing. Tweeting and responding to tweets, retweeting things, posting memes, jokes, and doing stuff like that poll to decide Trump's fate on Twitter. And, and now, now he's doing this thing. So he's doing these highly engaging, attention-grabbing activities, participating in a live Twitter spaces, supposedly live with 100,000 people listening, I believe was the number that they said. I listened to it after the fact. I didn't, I didn't catch it live. But they were allowed to ask him questions that he could respond to. Obviously, everybody didn't get to ask a question, so there is going to be some selectiveness in those who do get to ask it. And that, that's a form of censorship in and of itself. But now I'm, just, now I'm just picking at hairs here. It's just what he's doing is not only driving people to the platform, he is getting people engaged in the platform and sticking around on the platform and playing around on it. And he is no doubt showing this increase in activity to advertisers. The point is there's a monetary element there. There's the follow the money. They need money to run the company. So that has to happen anyway. He's already got advertisers coming back who quit. And I'm sure this won't get reported much in the media. But on Saturday, December 3rd, this past Saturday, the day after the Twitter files were released, Bloomberg reported that Apple had fully restored its advertising on Twitter. They were gone for a while. Now they're, they're back. And Amazon 
is also reportedly planning on increasing its spending on the platform substantially. So now we got Apple back. We got Amazon about to invest some more on there. And on the same day, Saturday, December 3rd, Musk tweeted thanking advertisers for returning to the platform. That, that's why a lot of this is a spectacle in a show. It's like gamifying the platform. There's always something going on on Twitter. I think that's kind of the vibe that Musk is trying to create. But it will not be a free speech absolutist place. It might be better than it was. It might not be. It won't be absolutist. More on that in a little bit. So the files themselves, Musk gave the details or the emails to Matt Taibbi, who is a journalist, who went through the emails and then he turned them into a Twitter chain equipped with screenshots of internal emails and data and contextual explanations from Taibbi about, you know, what's going on. Personally, I found the revelations to be underwhelming because they don't really reveal much of anything that anybody who hasn't been asleep for the past few years doesn't already know or isn't like intentionally blocking out with cognitive dissonance. It does provide evidence, concrete evidence to, to support that, that claim. So that, that is good that it does that. It's good to, be at, to have this stuff out there. It's just it's stuff that we already knew that they've been calling Russian disinformation for the past few years. It's just like, okay, and now they're not going to talk about it. I'm not going to go into too much of the details of what is actually in them because we're going to hear Musk talk about them himself here in a minute. But a couple of things that were in there that was revealed was stuff like that both sides requested to have people removed or banned from Twitter, but since the employees there were like 97% Democrat donors, their suppression actions heavily favored the Democrats, to say the least, to the extent of Musk calling them or calling Twitter during the Twitter spaces clips you're going to hear in a moment, he said that they were basically operating as an arm of the Democrat Party. And another one is that Taibbi also said that Twitter used extreme measures to hide the Hunter Biden, the report from the New York Post on the Hunter Biden laptop. It eliminated similar links and sent user warnings. Twitter even prohibited the delivery of the topic through direct messaging. So you could not even DM the link to the Hunter Biden story. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's election interference. Elon talks about that. In the first clip, I'm going to play for you here in a second. You know what? I'll go ahead and play it. So the Twitter show, the Twitter Spaces show that, he, that I'm about to play clips from was hosted by this guy named Mario Nalfall. This is the same guy. I think that's how you say his name. This is the same guy who had Hunter Biden, the artist, who would only talk about art on his show live on Twitter Spaces a couple of weeks ago. I did a deconstruction on that show right before Thanksgiving because these guys were mad, the host of this show, about how frustrated they were that Hunter Biden happened to just drop off of the, the, the chat when asked a question that Hunter and his team did not want asked, which was about Sam Bankman Freed and the Democrats. It's the same guys as that. And he talks about that in this show, actually. He talks about how the glitches that ended up kicking Hunter Biden off at a strange time, an opportune time, had never, ever happened to, happened to him before. And this guy's done hundreds of these Twitter spaces. And I'm still forming my opinion on all of this, by the way. I can see positives and negatives in all of this. And I'm just always going to be skeptical of someone who is a billionaire who has lots of ties with the government through his companies and whatever else. So 
I'm always going to look at this stuff with a skeptical lens, and I will try and point stuff out that I think is positive while also thinking about what the, the other side of that might be. Okay, here Elon is talking about how Twitter committed election interference. He's asked a question about it first from one of the participants on the discussion. The other important thing here is that you are basically exposing collusion between a political party and uh, in, in one uh, file that was released, it was even uh, called the Biden team contacting uh, Twitter. I mean, that is uh, election interference, isn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, I, it, it clearly, <laughs> if, if, if Twitter is doing one team's bidding, before an election, shutting down dissenting voices um, on a pivotal election, that is the very definition of election interference. I mean, what the hell else would you, of course, it's like, yes, um, you know, but frankly, Twitter acting like an arm of the Democratic National Committee. It was absurd. Okay, he seems, he seems to be accurate. In that, right? At least based on what he's revealing. Of course, he has access to stuff that I'm sure that we don't have access to. I wonder if he is truly is being transparent. I kind of doubt it. I think 100% transparency probably doesn't really exist. And what's crazy about this is there's more evidence, far more evidence confirming this, that the Democrats, with the help of the FBI and the Biden campaign, interfered in, in the 2020 election. And nobody, it doesn't matter. The reaction you will get is the same one as, what is that guy's name? Sam something. Uh, the guy who said that he didn't, he didn't care if Hunter Biden was like raping little girls in his basement. He still thinks it's justified to bury the Hunter Biden laptop so that Joe Biden can get elected. That's the mentality that a lot of people are, are going to react with. They'll say, we didn't elect Hunter Biden. Yeah, but you elected the person who raised him to be that way. Okay, in this next clip, he responds to a question about if all the tech companies are basically involved in this sort of election interference. Yeah. No, I mean, the level of collusion is insane. Like, like Twitter is the one company that isn't, isn't, that is no longer colluding and is no longer uh, just going with the, the, the sort of NPC groupthink. Um, so I don't know, you know, I should probably increase my security or something. Now, is that true that Twitter's the only one, to, or that Twitter's doing this? I don't know. It looks like it. this is being done on the surface, but it's tricky, man. I talk a lot about the Davos initiative, where they talked about rebuilding trust in the institutions that shape our reality, that control the information, so that, I personally, I think, so you can push out these alternative disinformation sources, as they call them. And they were going through this encouraging, telling organizations to do a trust rebuilding campaign. We've seen CNN do it very badly. We see CNN trying to do it. Obviously, Musk is trying to build some credibility in Twitter. And the fact is, anybody has to have credibility anyway. It's a matter of whether that credibility is going to be used to tell people the truth or whether those people are going to exploit that credibility and once they have captured people, start lying to them. Let's see if some of the things that Musk says alleviates any of that concern. Okay, here he talks about why he released the Twitter files. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, on the Twitter file stuff, I mean, the, the idea here is simply to come clean on everything that has happened in the past in order to have a, you know, 
build public trust for the future. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's essential. Like, why, why should people believe Twitter in the future if, if Twitter does not come clean about the past? That's what it comes down to. So it's it's just, uh, you know, so I've given Matt to Taibi. And then uh, just recently, uh, just just a, about an hour ago, Barry Weiss, uh, access to old old Twitter documents. So it's like unfettered access to, to anything. And if this is not like a, you know, North Korean tour guide situation. This is, uh, <laughs> you, you get to go anywhere you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want. So uh, I'm not like, you know, uh, controlling the narrative or... I, I didn't, you know, Matt's, I was seeing Matt's tweets as he was tweeting them. So I'm like, I was just as eager to see them as anybody else. Okay, there's a lot there. What stood out to me, one of the things, was what he said. Why would you believe what's on Twitter? The idea of wanting to get people to believe what's on Twitter. It's such a weird concept to me because Twitter is, yeah, you, you do get news on Twitter. You can, but Twitter is people saying things. So the idea of believing Twitter it doesn't seem like it could be a holistic thing like that because there's millions of individual people on there who to just believe Twitter would be to believe them. I'm not sure what he means by that. That I mean, that might have, that might be some sort of reference to some sort of censorship of wrong information. Now, how is wrong information determined? I mean, we get into some of the same dicey territory here. The fact is everybody needs to be asking questions themselves. Just wanting us to rely solely on authoritative sources who review the information for us because they're so smart, I guess. That makes us a slave to whoever that authoritative source is. Asking questions and analyzing the content ourselves is going to give us the most protection from these huckster propagandists. All right, I'm going to play one more, then we will go into the XR. Here he is talking about, or he elaborates on what he means by transparency. The, the, the general thing we're aiming for is, uh, you know, anything bad that Twitter's done in the past, that that at least be it, it'd be surfaced, so as to uh, instill in trust of, about Twitter in the future. Um, and the thing where I may have blanked out a moment ago is uh, that uh, it, it, it is impossible to Twitter to take only take take the set of actions that will satisfy all people, or probably even ninety percent of people, but. Uh, but what Twitter can do uh, that that is unequivocal is be completely transparent about its action and, and what's you know. I love how it glitches as he's saying transparent. What, what what is it doing? What is it not doing? How does the algorithm work? And and, and if, if an account is suspended, why is it suspended? If an account is deboosted, uh, just showing that it's been deboosted or search banned, uh, and and, the, and giving a reason for that. Um, so that there's maximum transparency in the system. Um, so that even if you disagree with what's going on on Twitter, you at least can calibrate what you learn on Twitter uh, based on, on what Twitter's doing. Not 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 and not have a situation where Twitter is claiming to be fair and even-handed, and then actually is is not being so, at least from from your perspective. Okay, I can see a little bit of what he's saying there. I'd have to see it played out in real time, but just giving people actual answers versus big non-answers that people gave so they would suspend somebody or remove somebody then the person wouldn't know why so i guess it's you just let them know why when they do it which we find out in a clip i'm going to play in the xr why from elon from his mouth himself the horse's mouth 
And that's where we're going to wrap it up today. We're going to continue this in the XR. I appreciate you guys watching and listening, and thank you for your support. Propagandafight.com, patreon.com slash report. We will talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.